and that you have safely returned back to us. For those of you that were traveling, those that you, those of you that were away, um, it is an honor to be with you today. We're going to wrap up final installment today on our series on worship. Amen. Have you all enjoyed this? Okay. All right. Well, I have. I've enjoyed ministering it. Um, it has been a life changer. You know, it, it's so awesome as a pastor because, uh, you know, not only am I bringing the word, but I'm being built up by it as well. You know, the revelation that God's bringing me, this isn't stuff that I've just already known and, you know, discovered, and now I'm sharing it along with you. A lot of times in my studies, I'm seeing things sometimes for the first time and, uh, you know, just excited to get it out to you. And this has been a powerful series for me. I've, I've always been one that, uh, you know, I've been on worship teams since I was about 12 years old. I started playing drums at different worship teams at churches and schools and, uh, you know, doing all those different things. But, you know, I, I hope that you have discovered along with me the reality of worship, what, re- what worship really is, what worship really does for us. And in this series, you know, we titled it Treasures because we went back to Matthew and we took a look at when the wise men, the kings, came to worship a baby. They came to worship a child. Uh, you know, this, this child, Jesus, was no older than two years old at the time that they made it to him. And for them to travel as far as they did, to fall down and worship him, and then to bring the gifts that they brought to him, valuable gifts. I mean, we're not just, we're, I mean, they didn't even bring him child's toys. They brought things that were a, a, a picture of their heart, what they valued, and they were opening themselves up to Jesus, not because of what he had done, but because of what they knew he was going to do. That's amazing. You know, we do a real good job of worshiping God and praising God when he has done something. You know, every two weeks that Friday when the paycheck rolls in, we're praising and worshiping God. But the week before when we're struggling and, you know, not knowing how we're going to make it to the next payday, there's not so much praise and worship coming forth. But we're finding out here that worship is something that we do in a lifestyle. It's not an event. It's not something that we just show up to church and say, all right, I'm going to worship God this morning. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to sing a few songs. And when we learn that worship is truly a lifestyle out of who we are and out of what God has done and what he's going to do for us, you'll find that you'll come in here and sing songs and and praise God along with us out of an overflow of what he's been doing all week long in your life. It's a heart position. Amen. And, and, And we saw that, uh, you know, a heart of worship will always override an act of worship. And and an action of worship does not replace having the heart of worship. When God told King Saul, he said, uh, obedience to me is better than sacrifice. That's what's more valuable. That's where I place the priority. And we found out that worship is truly submission. That's truly what it is. You cannot worship what you're not submitted to. And even though sometimes we come in here and we sing songs, and we praise him in here, lift our hands in here, maybe even sing along. But when we get out there, that's where the true test of our worship, the true test of our heart is. And so I hope that you've been able to see that and discover that with us. And today I want to uh, look at something that I think is very powerful. It's something that we do not tap into uh, enough as believers. And I hope that it will change you today. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. 
and we're going to see an awesome story, and some of you may know this story, um, and I hope that we can pull out some things for you uh, that we can live by. I do want to make a couple of announcements real quick before we get into the word. Um, uh, due to the holiday, we were a little uh, slow and a little late in getting the schedules out for all of our Elevate staff. Uh, but they are available printed on the back back here if you need to grab one before the new year starts. Um, uh, remember, we do not have service this Wednesday. There is no service this Wednesday being New Year's Eve. Uh, you guys enjoy yourselves. Be safe. But we will come back next Sunday morning, and so you'll need to get that scheduled. We will email the schedule out tomorrow, but in case you needed it beforehand, you can grab a printed copy. Um, and then also I want to let you know that we have our New 2015 one-year Bible reading plans. They are available in the back. Be sure to grab one. This is the year. This is the year. Everyone say, this is the year I read the Bible every day. This is the year. Amen. And so uh, be, be sure to grab, the, grab one of those. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we do this every year. And it's a great way to uh, start off your year. But it's something we want to continue in. Amen. Uh, don't let this be one of those resolutions that by the time we get to February, we've already cut off and haven't continued in. This is something that we need. Uh, this is something we, we as believers, we have to be in the word of God. And, and I always tell people this, uh, you know, the, the Bible reading plan makes it very simple. If you're one that struggles with reading or struggles with reading the word, on a consistent, regular basis, one of the biggest questions I get asked as a pastor when it comes to reading the Bible is, what do I read? I, I just don't know where to start. And look, there's over 40 books in there, written by over 40 different authors, and uh, you know, there's a lot of places you could start. But this makes it real simple. It tells you where to start. And, and what I encourage people with is, you know, don't, don't see this as a task. You know, where we start to get run down is I missed a day or I missed a couple of days or I missed a week. It's like, oh, gosh, I got to get all caught up. Just pick up where you just pick up where you left off or pick up where you're at and just run with it and just make a habit and a priority. And you will find out that this eventually will be the least of what you do on a daily basis. You'll find out that this will put a desire in your heart for more of the word. Somebody asked me one time, well, how, I mean, I just. I just don't have that desire. You know, how, how do I get that hunger? The only way to desire the word is to get in the word, right? I love ice cream. I love ice cream. And that's because somebody, when I was a young child, gave me ice cream, and I said, I need more of that. Amen? And so when you get in the word, it will build that desire. It will build that habit and that, that urgency that says, I've missed being in the Word today. I've got to be in there. So be sure to run by there. We've got several printed. If, if we run out, we'll have more next week. But we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to be in the Word this year. Amen. And the other exciting part about it is we're all reading it together. You know that you're coming to church with people that are reading the same thing. Eventually, you'll find yourself having a conversation with somebody else. What would you get out of that today? What did you get out this past week? And you just start feeding on that, and it's awesome. It's awesome to be in God's Word. Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're talking about worship. We're talking about worship. In verse 1, it says, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. 
from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Don't you wish we had leaders like that today? That when trouble comes, they sought themselves to seek the Lord. That's leadership. Amen. And set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So he says, I as king, I'm going to go before the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. And the whole nation is going to seek the Lord with me. Amen. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you, to withstand you. He's putting it on God. He said, don't you rule? Aren't you the one that's in charge? This is a king talking. This is King Jehoshaphat speaking. He's saying, look, you're the one that's in charge. You're the one that's ruling and reigning. So when they come against us, they're really coming against you. Amen. See, a lot of us, when trouble comes, we take it personally. The devil's trying to stop me. The devil's trying to stop my life. The devil's trying to stop my purpose. But look, when they come against you, you've got to remember there's one that you are serving. There's one that you are working for. And there's one that reigns. And when they come against you, they're coming against their... See, this was, this was David's mentality. David, the worshiper. The true worshiper. The one that wrote the book of Psalms, which is just songs and hymns written to God in praise and in worship. When Goliath was coming against the Israelites, he's the only one that realized they're not just attacking me. They're not just attacking us. They're attacking our God. He said, you will be slain today because you are talking against my God. And so we go on and he says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Guys, this is what we do when problems come. This is what we do when trials. We focus on the problem rather than the answer. We focus on the one attacking us rather than the one who can deliver us. But King Jehoshaphat here, he changes it and he says there's trouble coming there's trials there's affliction coming there's someone coming to try to take us out but instead of focusing on the problem i'm going to turn my attention to my god 
This is what worship does. When you worship God, when you set yourselves to worship, when you set yourself to praise God, your attention is not on the problem that's trying to overtake you, but you are, your attention is on the one who can deliver you. And this is where we've got to turn our attention, guys. And, and, and in essence, this is what we've got to do. Worship should not just be a response to the answer. We've got to learn how to respond to the problem in worship. And that's where we miss it. Because we respond to the problem in complaining and grumbling and, oh, me, oh, my, why is this happening? There's no way I'm going to get out of this. This thing is too great. This thing is going to overtake me. And instead, we ought to be worshiping our God in response to the problem, not just the answer. Worship needs to be how we respond when the trouble comes, when the trials start to show up. That's when we start worshiping. That's when we start praising God. We saw last week with Paul and Silas. They didn't wait for the jail cell to open up to to, to start uh, uh, praising and worshiping their God. They were praising and worshiping God in their lowest, and that's when God brought them to their highest. And once again, we're seeing it repeated here. And a lot of times, guys, when we go to God, another mistake that we make is we go to God and just talk to about the problem. What's he talking about? Aren't you the God that rules? Aren't you the God that delivered our ancestors? Aren't you the God that gave Canaan to, our, to, to inhabit this land? Aren't you the God that delivered them from Egypt? Aren't you the God of Abraham, Isaac, and James? Aren't you the God? What's he doing? He's talking about his God. And see, many times we go to God talking about the problem. As if God doesn't have any idea what we're currently going through. That God isn't looking down, understanding, God, you don't know what it's like down here. You don't understand my pain. You don't understand this has got to be paid. This has got to take place. I've got to find this job. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And he's saying, I know. Come to me and tell me how awesome I am. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about uh, what you glorify. What you glorify is made larger. You know why they call it a magnifier? See, I, I used to use magnifying glasses as a kid to burn ants and uh, roly-polies. But really, a magnifying glass is used to make something larger. And when you magnify God, he becomes larger than your problem. But we spend more time. No wonder our problems look so huge. No wonder the bill looks like it's never going to get taken care of. No wonder why the marriage looks like it's never going to be mended. No wonder it looks like we're never going to find the right job or get the right check or make the right amount of money. No wonder, because we talk about it so much and we make it so big and we make our God so small. But King Jehoshaphat here is responding to the problem the way we ought to respond. When we can learn to respond to the problem in worship, That's the key to victory. That's the key to victory. That's the key to overcoming in life. That's the key to winning in life. Not talking about the problem. Talking about the answer. So let's keep going here. Verse 13. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benai, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. 
And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid. Nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours. But God's. Guys, God is wanting to tell us today. The battle is not yours. It's God's. See, this is why worship is so important. Because it's in worship that we learn to acknowledge that it's someone else fighting for us. Somebody else is fighting for us. Somebody else is going up against the enemy. When we worship God, we are acknowledging. We are turning over the battle to God. To the one who has the answer, to the one who is the answer, to the one who can deliver us, to the one who can set us free. The battle is not yours, it's God's. The battle, it does not belong to us. God wants to fight for us. The question is, are we putting God on the front line? Are we putting God in our battle, in our trial, in our situation? Are we giving him the opportunity to fight for us? See, some of us, we fight so much ourselves. What did I tell you worship was? Worship is submission. When you bow down, that is the most vulnerable position you can be in. Bowing down is not a fighting position. It's neither offensive nor defensive. But when we worship, we turn the battle over. We are submitting ourselves to God, to his rule, to his reign, and we eventually bow out in one sense and let God take care of us. Watch what happens here. He says, the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah. In Jerusalem, do not fear, be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. What an awesome answer to the problem! What an awesome opportunity for God to show Himself mighty as a result of a king, a leader, standing up and saying, We're going to God with this, and the whole nation's going to go with us. An opportunity to put themselves in position before God. And when you position yourself before God, you position yourself to where God can fight on your behalf. I love the fact that God never designed us. God did not create us to do it by ourselves. Yet so many times we get in calamity, we get in situations, we get in trials and tribulations, and we find ourselves trying to do it all by ourselves. We try to figure it out by ourselves. We try to get the money. We try to, get the, we try to go and find all the answers ourselves. We're trying to work on our own. And God is saying, if you just submit to me, I'll take care of the situation. If you'll just submit to me, I will take care of that which is coming against you. If you'll put, position yourselves in submission to me, 
Ultimately, guys, that's what he's looking for. He sees here a king that has bowed himself down to the king of kings. He sees here a king that has taken the people that he rules over and says, we are going to worship God. We are going to go to God about this. We don't have the answer. How many leaders do we see today that are willing to take that position? How many leaders do we see today that are willing to say, I don't have the answer, but let's go to the answer. Let's go to the one who can deliver us from this thing. And that's what he does here. He says, you won't even need to fight. Verse 18, and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, before the army, and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, you know, I'm not a real big military guy. You know, I don't understand tactics and strategies like maybe some of you in this room do. But it doesn't seem like the smartest thing to send out the worshipers worshipers before the fighting. But yet that's what is commanded of them to do here. They have sent out the worshipers before the trained, skilled men who could fight. But we do it the other way around. We want to get the trained, skilled side of us out there trying to figure it out before we worship. The worship is what we do at the end instead of at the beginning. But I think there's a lesson to be learned here. That if we can send out our moments of worship before the trouble hits, before we see the deliverance, before we see the answer, that we might obtain the victory that we believe for. That we might obtain the victory that we know that God has promised. In verse 22 it says, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to a place of overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth, No one had escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies, precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. 
Not only does God want to deliver you, he wants to send you away. Bless. All of this as a result of a man choosing to worship his God rather than respond in fear and rather than respond in what can we do and how are we going to fix this and just talking about the problem. Now, I want to let you know that it was worship that God got that got God's people in trouble in the first place. You don't have to turn there, but back in Judges, you know, we, we get through Joshua, and Joshua takes over for Moses, leads the Israelites into Canaan land, and just going left and right, just destroying. Destroying nations, overtaking the land which God had promised them. But then we get to Judges, and something happens in Judges. God's people mess up. And it wasn't that they became weak. It wasn't that they became, uh, uh, that the enemies were just stronger and tougher than they were. It says in Judges that they set themselves to worship the gods of the other nation. It was worship that got them in the mess in the first place. (laughs) Here's the thing, guys. If we don't spend time worshiping God, you'll find something to worship. We were designed to worship. It's in our nature to worship. And the problem is, is if we don't set ourselves to worship God, you'll find yourself worshiping something else. And whatever you worship, you become subjected to. Those nations ended up overthrowing them, overtaking them, and the book of Judges is just a big looping circle of Worshipping false idols, getting in trouble, nations overtaking them. God brings a judge, delivers them, and then they just keep going right back in a circle. This shows us, this shows us the attack on our worship. If the devil can get you to worship something else, you will no longer be subjected to God. Therefore, he can no longer fight your battle for you. But God is showing us here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that if we can get before him, if we can respond properly to him, we'll see the victory. We'll see the answer. The the victory lies in our response. The victory lies in our preparation. The victory is not necessarily what you do on the field. It's what you do before you take the field. I mean, you ask any athlete, you ask any uh, military person, The victory lies in the preparation before I get there. How are we preparing? What is our response to the problem? Because there is a fight before us that God says, it's not even your battle. If you'll submit to me, if you'll subject yourself to me, if you will worship me, if you will bow down in a position of submission to me, give me that thing. What is that thing that he's pulling on? What is that thing that you're still holding on to? What is that thing that we are worshiping rather than worshiping God? What is that? That doesn't mean that you're literally bowing down, but it was idols that got God's people in trouble. Idols that were raised up to... Substitute or take the place of God himself. 
What is it that we are not letting go of? What is it that we're worshiping in place of our God? And if we let that go, God is saying, if you will submit yourself to worship me, a lifestyle of worship, not just singing and and listening to music and lifting our hands, but worshiping with our lives, what is that thing that will be delivered to us? What Can you imagine what the fight would look like if God was fighting it for you? Can you imagine what it would look like if God set himself up before the problem that's in front of you today? I believe in this church today that we all know that God will and God can. Those are the two questions that we have to substantiate with ourselves. Most people struggle with, I know that he can, but I don't know if he will. Or I know he will, but I don't know he can. But when you learn that God will and God can, then the only thing left to do is to submit yourself to God. This next year in 2015, I think that, I I believe that this word on worship is timely for us. And I believe that the victory we're going to see in this next year is going to be tied to our preparation in our lifestyle of worship. Is it healing? Is it physical healing? Is it financial? Is there a need in your family? Is there a need uh, with your business? Whatever the need is, whatever the, the, the thing is that you're trying to overcome in life, find yourself with a lifestyle of worship to your king and watch him fight for you. I believe that his word for us this next year is just as it was for King Jehoshaphat. Stand back and watch me fight because this battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. This battle is not yours. This battle belongs to me. And guys, I just want us to be positioned. That's what he told King Jehoshaphat. Position yourselves. Position yourself. This next year, find yourself talking about the answer more than the problem. Find yourself glorifying God regardless of what is currently taking place in our lives. God's greatness, God's power, God's might is not limited to your current situation. He is strong no matter what. God, in one sense, is as powerful as you make him out to be. And I don't see a church today that serves a weak God. I see a church today that serves a powerful God. And we're going to talk about it. And we're going to proclaim it. And we're going to sing songs like we did today that God is able. That he will not forsake us. That he will go before us. That he is with us. That the Lord will fight for us. That's the God that I serve. And I believe that that is the God that we are going to proclaim this next year. I'm tired of seeing the church represent a weak God. I'm tired of seeing that. I want to see a God that is strong. I want to see a God that is powerful. I want to see a God that is mighty. And regardless of the current situation or circumstance in your life, he will come through. He is victorious. He has already got us the victory. He has already made a way for us. And if we can position ourselves in worship, this next year you ought to worship more than you ever have. This next year, you should find yourself glorifying God more than you ever have. That's where the answer lies.
you'll find that the same problems that you may have had this last year won't look so big this next year. They won't look the same because you're going to look at it differently because you're going to spend more time looking at your God. You're going to spend more time looking at the answer and the problem will will diminish. Amen. Amen. So this year, coming up, we're going to glorify our God. We're going to worship our God. We're going to praise our King. We're going to submit ourselves to Him, not just in words, not just in actions, but with a heart of worship. You're going to find yourself singing like you've never sang before. You're going to find yourself worshiping. You're going to find yourself thanking. You're going to find yourself glorifying. I mean, just look at what King Jehoshaphat was talking about. Remind yourself of what glorify him. He will lift us out. Take time this next year to look at the answer rather than the problem. Take time this next year to glorify God rather than glorify your problem. Magnify God rather than magnify your problem. And we will see the answer. We will see the victory that he has promised us. Father, we thank you this morning for this word. We thank you that we can see today in your word. That your promises are everlasting. Your promises. You are faithful to perform that which you have promised. Father, we know we serve a mighty God. We know we serve a God that has all the answers. We know we serve a God that can deliver us. And regardless of what our situation, we will not just lift our hands in praise when you deliver us. We will lift our hands in praise to see your deliverance. May we have the heart, like Paul and Silas, to worship you even when we're in our lowest. May we have the heart, like King Jehoshaphat, that the second we get word that calamity is coming, we respond in worship and praise. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for victory in every situation. That this next year, we set ourselves to be worshipers. We don't care what our voice sounds like. We don't care if we know the song. We don't care uh, 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 if we even feel like worshiping. We're going to set ourselves to worship anyways. We're going to set ourselves to praise you anyways. Because we know that in the praise is the victory. We know that in the worship is the deliverance. And we will see you perform on our behalf. When we give ourselves to worship you, we subject ourselves to worship you. We subject ourselves to give. Just as those wise men came and they gave, worship always has something to bring. Worship always has something to bring. And we know that what it will cost us fails in comparison to what you will bring us. So, Father, we thank you this morning. We worship you and praise you. Your mercy endures forever. Your mercies endure forever. And I thank you that we will see the victory that you have promised because we set ourselves in submission to you to worship our King. And we will see you come through. And we'll give you all the glory. We will give you all the praise. To you is all the honor. We thank you for this today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. We want to take time this morning to continue in our worship with our giving. Uh, If you need an offering envelope, please raise your hand real high and our ushers will get one to you. Amen. We appreciate your giving, your sowing, financially participating in all that God has done. Uh, This is obviously our last uh, tithe and offering for the year. And so here in the next few weeks, we will have, uh, you know, those statements going out for your year-end giving.